Hello and welcome to the stories that brought you here, a podcast dedicated to the people living in and around the Salish Sea. I'm your host, Chris Wakaluk, and it's my pleasure to get to sit down in conversation with people to hear the stories about why they chose to live in this beautiful part of the world, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. This particular episode you're listening to today is part of a special series I'm doing called Welcome Home. As you all know, the world has changed quite a lot in the last two and a half years, and so has the little island that I live on called Pander. It seems like a lot of people have decided to make a big change in their lives and come live on this small Gulf island, and I thought that this would be a great opportunity to introduce some of these new members to us all. This episode you're going to be listening to today is with the wonderful Stephanie Williams. Now, I've known Steph for about 10 years or so because she was a resident of Pender Island when my wife and I first moved here and we got to know her, but she had a long hiatus from Pender and wasn't expecting to return until the pandemic happened and things changed for her. So she and her husband, Chris, and their two twin boys decided to make the move back to Pender to be closer to family. You're going to get to hear Steph describe the reasons as to how and why that all came about. She'll talk about her experience living on Pender before, which includes the creation of the beloved Slow Coast coffee shop. She'll also talk about how she started her own business after the birth of her twin boys, how the pandemic shaped the direction of that business a little bit. We're also going to get to hear her perspectives and experience in the world of homeschooling. All that and more in a pretty wonderful interview with someone who I really like a lot. Steph is just great, and it was really fun to do this, which we did back in the spring. So as you listen to this interview, you might hear mention of that. But that was then, and this is now. So get ready to listen to a little bit of music, and then my interview with Stephanie Williams. was your introduction to the Gulf Island stuff? The first time I came to Pender Island, uh, my brother was working at Hope Bay Bible Camp with his family, and I just came for a visit, and it was great, of course, because there was the ocean right there, and I was living at White in White Rock at the time, but we were still like new from the prairies. That's where I came from. And so it was just really neat being on an island, which, by the way, maybe I should have done better in geography as a youth, but I didn't even know these islands existed. Or maybe I blocked it out and I was like, wow, it's like all these islands off the coast. Like, that's so tropical and amazing. I'm going to live there. And so, yeah, that was my first introduction. And um, I really enjoyed it. And I was visiting my brother fairly regularly before I landed here. Okay, so what year was that in? Um, so I think probably the first time that I visited was probably 2009. And so it wasn't long after that I moved here because I think I moved here the spring of 2010 for the first time. Okay, and older or younger brother? Both of my brothers are older than me. So this is Brent, who's just uh, the next brother up. And he still lives here. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you uh, you were visiting your brother and then you fell in love with the place or just fell in like with the place? Yeah. Love is a pretty strong word. I do. I like the Gulf Islands. I don't say love a lot except for to my children. Um, yeah. But I thought it was awesome. 
That was really cool. So when I moved to Pender the first time, so it was just like a year after the first time I was visiting here, which was I learned how to drive a standard vehicle on Pender Island. Whoa. That's what I did while I was visiting. And then my life was coming to a close in White Rock because my roommate that I had was going to get her master's in Ontario and our lease was up. And um, so I just came to Pender to, I said I would visit. And I think that's what a lot of people say when they come here, like spend some time here. And um, I got a couple jobs and I was just thought I would stay here for the summer. And then I worked at a coffee shop that was called Harmony Cafe. And after a few months, with the help of my great parents, I purchased it. And then I changed the name and I reopened it as my whole own thing. And which coffee shop was that? It's now Slow Coast. So that's what um, I named it Slow Coast with the help of my aunt. She actually helped name it. And it was really awesome and it was a really cool experience. And I had come from managing a Starbucks um, in White Rock. And I felt like I was like, I could do this myself. And I was like really independent and excited. And I was 23 and decided I was going to be an entrepreneur and open a business. And it was going to be awesome. And it was. It was really cool. I did not become a millionaire, but I really enjoyed it. And I met a lot of really cool people. A lot of people on the island would come every single day. And so I got to know them. And that's also where I met my husband. So the beloved Slocos Coffee that's at Medicine Beach Market, that's now owned by Rob and Allie, um, you started that. You named it. You got that place going. And then and then you met your husband there. I did. Okay. And who is your husband? His name is Chris. Okay. Chris <laughs> Williams. I know that yep. guy. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. You you met him at the coffee shop. And uh, yeah. how did you uh, you guys become husband and wife? What, uh, what happened? Um, well... I was seeing somebody else, but Chris used to come in every single day and use my internet. And sometimes we'd like chat about things or I'd be like, hey, do you want to help me roll quarters? And he'd just like hang out, especially if it was rainy and he was living on a boat. So it was nice and warm at the coffee shop. And yeah, I like enjoyed his company and clearly he enjoyed mine. And I didn't realize how much he enjoyed my company, though. I didn't know that's why he was coming every day. But my cousin came to visit and she's like, that dude's in love with you. And I was like, uh, no, he's not. And then actually one day, Chris was like, so how long are you going to be dating that guy you're seeing? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't plan on not dating him. And then we broke up the next day. And, um, and then Chris was like, hey, do you want to come visit my boat? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I picked him up on the side of the road with a giant wood round and his skateboard. And we hung out at his boat. And then he came back to my house, and he never left. All right. <laughs> and and uh, when you guys uh, became a couple, it wasn't that long after that that you guys wound up leaving the island? Is that correct or no? Uh, yeah. So we started dating in, I guess, May. And then we left the island in the fall, like October-ish, I think. And um, yeah. Just kind of like we went up to Tofino and I was, it was kind of just a break. Like my mom had moved to the island and uh, she was gracious and kind enough to say that she would watch Slow Coast for me and we could go travel around and kind of do whatever. So we went up to Tofino first and um, started working there for a few months and then ended up in Vancouver. We moved to Main Street on, in Vancouver. And I was like, wow, this is a loud place. 
no doubt, <clears throat> Main Street versus Bender Island, two yeah. completely different places, <laughs> yes. for sure. Yeah. Jennifer and I lived off Main Street for a while. We lived uh, 14th and Sophia, so one block of, off of Main. Where did you guys live? Um, I don't remember what number it was, like what street it was, but it was like right on Main, and it was there was a grocery store, and we lived like just behind it. There's like a French cafe and I don't know. It was a cool area, but I don't really remember much because I was just laying in bed being pregnant with twins. Okay, cool. That's <laughs> what I wanted to get to right after this, but good yeah. segue. Nice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and so then you became a mother uh, of twins when uh, that experience was happening. And actually, sir, what year was that in? Uh, 2012. 2012. Okay. Yeah. So you and Chris have twins. Yes. And uh, how was that for you? A really cool and overwhelming and exciting and all of those things. We had been planning to get married in the fall very romantically. Chris said, hey, we should get married, don't you think? And I was like, yeah, we should do that. So then we started being like, yeah, let's get married in the fall. And then that's when we found out that we were having the twins. And so we were like, okay, well. Lots of people, if this happens, they're like, we'll just get married later. And I was like, if we have twins, we're going to never get married. So we planned the wedding like we've pushed it further up. And um, so we got married on Pender on Oak Bluffs and with all of our friends and family. And it was like a small gathering. And I was eight months pregnant with twins. Um, but it was really fun. And then, yeah, the whole experience of parenthood began. So... With that experience of uh, parenthood, uh, were you guys still living in Vancouver for a few years? No, no, not at all. So when we found out that I was pregnant with the twins, um, we thought we should head back to Pender. And so we just kind of like started looking for a place to rent and like, because my family was here and both my parents were here and one of my brothers and one of Chris's brothers lived here and Pender just seemed like a nice quiet place and plus I could have some help and yeah, so we found a place and we moved back to Pender spring 2012 and then uh, we got married uh, August 2012 and then the boys were born September 2012. And so how long was that <clears throat> time on Pender for you? How many years or months did you stay? Yeah, so I still had the coffee shop at that time. Um, so I would spend some time there with my mom and she was still mostly running the place because I was a little bit useless at that point. So we stayed on Pender until just after the boy's first birthday. So uh, like a year and a half to two years-ish. Yeah. And then we headed off again. And why'd you leave that time? Just kind of opportunity. There weren't a lot of like young kids at that time. There were a few people who had had babies around that time. Um, but I wasn't aware, so I'm not going to say there weren't, just in case there are people who had babies in 2012 and are like, she does not know what she's talking about. Um, I wasn't aware of like a lot of programs or parents things. I know there were a couple. And then there wasn't a lot for work either. And my mom and I sold the coffee shop and that's when Allie and Rob took over. And uh, the place looks really amazing now. It's cool to see what they've done. And I also love that they kept the name going back to Slow Coast. Like that feels really special. And so we sold the coffee shop and then we thought we would leave for opportunity and work. And so we moved up to Cowichan Station on Vancouver Island. And so uh, how did you guys uh, navigate those years on the island there? And uh, what did you do for work? And 
I guess I'm angling towards uh, what uh, creative endeavors did you personally get into? Ah, I see. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, so we lived in like a series of like total dud places. Like, you know, when you like find a rental, we're like, this is going to be a super awesome place and it's going to be really cool. And um, none of them worked out. Like the super awesome place was like built in the 1800s and it was so beautiful, stained glass and stuff. But like mice were chewing through the kids' bottles and soothers in the night. So that was a total disaster. So we didn't last long there. So then we moved to like Couch and Bay. And um, that was a really, really neat place. But the landlord spent a lot of time there in their workshop. So we didn't stay there either. So we did like a lot of hopping around with jobs. And Chris kind of just like doing what, like going working at places he liked. He was a chef. And we just kind of juggled him working late hours. And yeah, and I spent a lot of time just me and the boys and they were babies. So that's kind of where I decided um, I would like to do something like creative and for like just myself and just for fun instead of like taking care of babies and then going to sleep. Um, So yeah, got into just random things. I've always been creative anyway. So painting and um, my mom is an artist and one of my brothers is, we always had art supplies around and, um, just kind of dabbled around and I thought that I would just make some like crafty bits and go to a market that was at Whipple Tree Junction and I shared a table with my mom who has a soap company and she had like a proper real business with like labels and that looked professional and I was just doing like willy-nilly doodads and like (laughs) (laughs) sewing felt and painting rocks and like basically doing anything and did you know people buy willy-nilly do that oh of course they do yeah for sure they right? do. people are going to the market they want to spend money <laughs> yeah so we had a booth at whipple tree junction and um while i was there i met this woman and she had a store and she was like i really like what you're doing and i think you could kind of grow it and um evolve into whatever you want like i think you're just at the beginning of what you can do and so she gave me the opportunity to have a space in her own art store And so that's kind of where I really had the ability to grow as an artist and see what could be like a viable business rather than my willy-nilly doodads. Okay. And and so what did you really focus on when that opportunity came up? What were you making specifically? Um, I had started doing screen printing, but in the old-fashioned way because I didn't have the resources or space to have like a dark room and burn screens. So I was hand cutting stencils of drawings that I had done and then taping them to the back of a screen and then um, putting them on t-shirts and stuff and I was just kind of buying what I could afford so like I'd buy like blank shirts from Walmart and I still think it's amazing that people were actually buying painted shirts that had the label George on them (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is awesome and they gave me the ability to continue so Um, yeah, a lot of people supported me, people who didn't know me too, um, in my art and really enjoyed what I was doing. And so they thought the material, it was still worthy, even if, even though they were buying something that said a Walmart brand on it. So, um, yeah, so I started with screen printing and then moved into block printing afterwards, after a couple years. What is block printing? Um, so it is just a super ancient art so uh it 
was first on like wooden blocks. People would carve designs in them and print textiles. And you can still see really amazing things. Like in India, they print lots of textiles with these hand-carved soapstone and wood and stuff. But the modernized way that I do is I buy like rubber slabs, um, just sheets, and then I will draw a design on them, carve a design, usually West Coasty themed. And then, um, yeah, hand print each one like a stamp onto apparel. And um, yeah, because of those people in the early ages supporting what I was doing, I don't worry. I've stopped buying stuff from Walmart to print on. And I now have the resources and ability to use um, eco-friendly fabrics that are ethically made in Canada. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. It took a long time to get to that point. Um, but we've been there for a few years now and it's doing really well and I still really enjoy it. Cool. I love lately hearing about people uh, being entrepreneurs and starting up their own businesses and figuring these things out. And because to me, it seems so daunting and it seems like a, a ton of work and yeah, and it's a big uphill climb, right? I think that if I was trying to make a business, like if I was like, this is my goal and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be, you know, making money enough to live on, I don't think I would have ever done it. Because I don't think that I would have even, um, not that I wouldn't have believed that I could do it, but it would have been, like you said, like really overwhelming and daunting and like, do I know how to do that? And it probably just one of those things that would have kept getting pushed to the back burner. So it was like a, a slow roll to what happened. And like, still I'm like, wow, this, like I made myself a job and I do it and I have an actual job. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and this is cool. And I think it's interesting for people to hear as well too what people are doing on Pender in terms of making a living. So you've created an opportunity for yourself where you're able to make enough income to provide for you and your family and you work from home and and you're able to use your creativity and able to homeschool your kids at the same time, right? Yeah, it's really, really cool. I'm able to... Yeah, because I, I always wanted to homeschool the kids, and I was too from grade 5 through 12, and uh, I see like tons of benefits to it, so that's kind of what I wanted to do with the boys. So, um, And maybe subconsciously that's something that pushed me because in the world we're living in right now with the cost of stuff and housing, and it, it would have been unlikely that my husband would have worked and I would have just been able to stay home and homeschool the boys and do crafts with them and um, all the things, teach them all the things that I want to without having to worry about an income. So, yeah, so that might have been something that maybe pushed me there in their first five years of their lives. Okay, cool. And then, actually, I want to uh, lead into right now how you decided to move back to Pender and when that happened. Time yeah, there. I think a lot of people's lives changed over the past couple of years. So, we had been living in Cedar for the previous four years uh, and really, really enjoyed it. We had a great place. Um, like our house was great. Our yard was great. We Chris had a good job um, and the boys had schooling options and extracurricular and we had a community and it was really we really liked it. Everything was great. My business was going well. And yeah, so it was it was a great time. And then uh, COVID hit and everything started going all wonky for everybody. And so the first thing that happened to us was Chris lost his job. And then my company that I purchased my goods from, the Ethically Made Apparel, uh, their warehouses were forced to shut down um, because of COVID-19. And so I was unable to buy product to sell it. 
which meant effectively my job was gone as well. Um, I had some stock that was still in my studio space, so I was able to continue there. And I had stock in lots of consignment stores, so that was okay um, for the time being. And then the worst thing that hit was um, our landlords decided that they were going to sell their house, which was a huge surprise because they were kind of like career landlords. They were an older couple. Um, And they had four or five houses and they rented them and they didn't really have any reason to sell them or anything. But uh, we were able to continue paying rent, but their other tenants were not. And the house that we were in was worth the most. And so they put it on the market and we really hoped that it would take a while to sell. But it got listed on a weekend. The first showing was on a Wednesday and the house sold on the Thursday. Mm. And so the house is gone and it sold for like, over a hundred thousand more than asking like it was they asked us to leave that day so that they could do showings and so we like drove past and there was a lineup of people to get into the house like it was just so crazy which I, we've all heard like the housing market was insane over that time so uh yeah we had to come up with something we were going to do and we had no idea where we were going to go and the uncertainty about jobs like people were losing them so were we really going to be able to move somewhere and just like find a job um so we thought about the Sunshine Coast, and Chris is always trying to convince me to move to the East Coast. You can ask him for those reasons why, but I'm I'm not interested um, because it's far and gets colder, and um, so that wasn't an option. Uh, but he did try to talk me into it for a good amount of time, and then we're like, Pender is obviously like that was the spot. There was the kind of like we set it and my family's here and we had the space to even if uh, we weren't able to settle something with work right away we would be able to move here and be okay and our family would be fine and I could homeschool and when business picked back up again I would be able to do that and by that by the time we came here the company that I was wholesaling through they were running again even though delayed and at a lower capacity but I was able to continue um, yeah, so we moved back to Pender, and that was in February of 2021. Okay, and so you mentioned Cedar as well, too, and so Cedar is just outside of Nanaimo? Yes. Okay, Yeah. all right, and so just before all this craziness happened, you had no plan to move back to Pender? No, not even a little bit. No, I actually always said that I would never move back to one of the Gulf Islands, not because I don't love it. Like I love visiting my family here and we would come here like once a month and for a weekend and see everybody and enjoy the beaches and the walks and everything again. But um, the ferries are a huge deterrent. And after you leave the Gulf Islands and you're on the big island, you're like, wow, like I'm out of milk and it's 730 at night and I'm just going to go buy some milk from a store that's opened. And um, just the convenience of it I was just like, I don't want to leave this. And same with like for the kids extracurriculars, they were um, in Taekwondo and swimming lessons. And um, we know that the islands are full of parks and nature and beauty. And Vancouver Island has an endless supply of it all within driving distance. So, yeah, we had no plan to leave the big island at that point. <laughs> okay. But uh, early 2021 rolls around, all these things unfold that you mentioned, and then you come to live on Pender because your parents are living on the island. It's a good opportunity. And so that uh, the living situation that uh, you and your family are in now, it seems like there's uh, there's a lot of family around you. Yeah. So it's. I think some people would see it as a benefit and some people would see it as like, wow, that sounds 
like it sucks. Um, but on the property that we live on, there's my parents are there. And actually, my grandma came and lived with my she moved in with my parents. And then I've got um, both of my older brothers and my teen nephew and then Chris and myself and our boys. And we are just lucky that we're able to do it. And we all have our own space, too. We're not crammed into one building. Like, every single one of us have our own entrances to our own spaces and our own homes. And the one thing that I think is hugely beneficial is that the boys have access to all of these adults and a teen a teenager who are willing and excited to teach them things and let them, you know, watch them do things. Everybody has different skills and crafts. And yeah, so my kids get to spend this time growing up in a space where they're just surrounded by people who are interested in who they're going to become. Yeah, that's super cool. And yeah. what you say about some people on the surface would look at a situation like that and interpret it as a negative. Yeah. Um, I can totally see that for sure, right? But like the, what you're describing sounds so great. It sounds so great to have these multi-generational uh, mm -hmm. situations going on. So there's yeah. four generations. Yeah. And I think that um, for myself, it's a lot easier because I am really close with my family and I really like them and enjoy them. And they're all my friends, whether I'm close or far away. We have a really good relationship. For Chris, it's not his family. So I think it's a little bit different. Um, but everybody gets along and we all enjoy each other. So that is helpful. But um, on Chris's thoughts, he has the ability to look back to his own childhood and see how it benefited himself um, to be in the situation that our kids are in because Chris lived on a huge waterfront property in Shimanus and that's where he grew up and so his parents were in one house and his grandparents were in another and then intermittently like he would have an aunt and uncle and like cousins and then he had a great aunt and uncle so it was a huge again multi-generational space that he got to spend a lot of time with all these people who I, he was surrounded by people who love him so he got summers with grandparents and dinners with aunts and uncles and he had his parents and all his siblings so yeah it's kind of neat it's like he gets to see that happening again with his kids so yeah super neat yeah, yeah. chris chris has mentioned that to me a couple times and uh yeah that's uh that's pretty great for mm -hmm. sure really that's that's really great and so since you've been uh, living uh, on the property there, and I know that uh, you you started a little shed outside of where you live, where you sell some uh, some baked goods and other things, and how did you come up with that idea, and and how has that been going? So the Gulf Islands are really special in that they're kind of farm stands and outside fridges and shacks and <laughs> anything that anybody comes in. It's pretty neat. Um, like you can walk down a certain road and there's popsicles and bread and jams. And I totally love that. I would way rather support somebody in my own community than, you know, brands that are overseas. And I think that that is one thing that actually this whole pandemic that happened, uh, I didn't go into this one. So I'm, I'm backtracking a little bit to my business, but my sales increased so much during COVID once the manufacturers were able to open up again. And I think it's because people started to see the benefit in supporting small businesses because everybody was seeing like one by one them shutting down and how it's changing communities. And so being a small business that is fully Canadian, everything I sell is made in Canada and then my studio is here and... um yeah, I was just really amazed that during this time that a lot of people didn't have the benefit of pulling through my business actually in the year 
2021, um, my sales were actually more than the combined five years previous. Wow, really? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was really amazing. So it, because of my experience with that, it's really important to me to be able to support people. So I don't care if it's a little bit more expensive. Like if I, if it's something that I can do, which I know a lot of people can't for certain things, um, spend that extra amount. But in moments where you can, I think it's really beneficial to, yeah, support your community. So back to farm stands. So I really, really enjoy frequenting farm stands. And so, like I said before, my mom has a soap company and she does body products and um, she's also an artist. And so she has mixed media art and we thought, let's uh, pitch in and get like a little shed thing and just kind of start and see how it goes. And so we were putting like my clothing is in there just a little bit, but people pick up orders that they order online from there. And my mom has her soap and art and um, I really enjoy baking, but people can only eat so much and our freezers are only so big. So I thought it would be really fun a couple times a week to just make breads, which I really enjoy doing and like yeasted baking and Scandinavian Nordic baking that's not really common or that you can just find in the grocery store. Um, I thought it'd be kind of cool if we could sell that from our shed. And yeah, so we gave our shed a Scandinavian name and it kind of has the theme of that, which is fun for my grandma who also lives on my parents' property because she's Norwegian. So Right on. And, you know, I think this is so informative for people who are new here to sort of recognize that these possibilities exist mm-hmm. and uh, and to get to hear a person explaining, I wasn't too sure, but we decided to give it a shot and see what happens. And I guess it's been successful enough to keep going with it, that, that yeah. people are coming by and buying mm-hmm. things and that... Um, yeah, I I think that uh in this time that we're living in right now that uh there's a lot of a lot of change and a lot of people wondering, "Oh, how can I kind of make this work and what can I do?" But it's uh it's nice to hear you talking about the importance of buying local and yeah. and keeping the circle going, right? And like supporting each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um something else uh, that I, I want to bring into this podcast series as well too is asking people who are new to the island uh that what sort of a contribution do they see themselves making to the island in the uh, the years that they're going to be here? And just uh, asking this question of you, how do you want to um, involve yourself in the community and contribute to it to uh, to turn it into the best Pender Island it can be? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a really that's a huge question to think about how to contribute to the community. Um, I guess for myself, art is a way to contribute. So. Um, tomorrow, actually, well, it won't be tomorrow when this airs. <laughs> tomorrow from today, I'm teaching a printmaking workshop through Ptarmigan Arts. Um, so having them on the island is a huge resource. And so a lot of, I think no matter what art you do or any sort of like craft, you could connect with them and there's the opportunity to integrate yourself into the community and teach people or even just talk about it. I know a lot of people don't like to share exactly how they do their craft, especially if it's how they make their income. But um, being able to talk about it and show people in demonstrations, and I think Ptarmigan Arts is a great opportunity for that. So to continue to do things like that, and then to be able to even contribute arts-wise with things that my kids do, like at their previous homeschool even though they weren't old enough to do it, I taught the older grades how to do printmaking as well. So I think parents of 
young kids or older kids or anything kind of pitching in and teaching the other kids in the community things that they do. And it doesn't have to be uh, like a program. Like you can connect with people individually and say, hey, uh, I can do this thing and you have these kids and I have this space and I think we should get together and kind of teach each other. And so those types of things, that would be something to contribute. I also am an introvert. (laughs) So... (laughs) As I'm saying this, I don't want people to start thinking they're going to see me absolutely everywhere because most of you probably don't even know what I look like, most people listening to this, because I spend my time in my space. Yeah. Well, I think that's such a a beautiful answer as well, too. And it's really informative to me to get to hear people's responses to those questions because it helps stimulate thought within myself and just the idea of interacting with uh, children from other parents and and then teaching them things Mm -hmm. that that doesn't have to have a whole lot of structure to it, but it can just sort of be on a whim or whatever. That's great. That's such an important thing. And even just our kids can contribute too. Like when you live in a smaller community, I think that children of different ages are more likely to be put in the same space because there's less. So, you know, like in a city, you might find 208-year-olds and throw them all in the same space and then, you know, but in a small community, and I think especially with homeschooling, because I experienced this myself, having kids spend time with kids that are younger than them, they get the ability to see what they can teach and how to interact with somebody who is not in their exact same place. And then also being able to spend time with older kids and look up to them and for the older kids who are, say, like teens to see be able to spend time with nine-year-olds and be good role models. And I think that that is like beneficial for each age group for themselves and to each other. And so that's something that's important to me. And so the boys have a few friends here that are of different ages and they have their cousin who's 16 and he's a really awesome teenager, the kind that you're like, that's a good kid. And so there's a lot of those around the island. Yeah. So just having the opportunity for parents to be like, I know my kid is 16, but do your 10-year-olds want to go down to the beach with them? And, you know, just their conversations they could have. And um, I just think it's really beneficial and cool to see. And in a small community, you're able to trust these interactions because you know the parents and you know this the kids. And, yeah. That's lovely. It is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, speaking of children, uh, where were you living as a child? Where did you grow up, Steph? I grew up in southern Alberta in a small town called Strathmore. It's bigger now. (laughs) Aren't they all? Aren't all the small towns in Alberta bigger now? Where's Strathmore? Um, So it's 30 minutes east of Calgary. And if you're driving on the number one, you have to drive through it. Um, And yeah, you'll see a Tim Hortons and a Walmart and uh, some hotels and gas stations. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we talked about this before we started or while we were recording, but you mentioned that you were homeschooled as well, too. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, w- I was homeschooled, too. Um, <laughs> and so it was actually my friends and myself, we were like, hey, we should be homeschooled together. We should talk our parents into doing this. So when I was in grade five, me and my best friends were like, we're going to be homeschooled next year. And so we talked to our parents and our parents were like, great, cool. Okay. You can be homeschooled. Um, So we did it different ways because there's lots of different ways to homeschool. You can unschool. You can virtual school, distance. Um, So we all kind of did it different ways. But uh, my parents gave us the opportunity to 
kind of choose our curriculum in our age level and grade level and um, be able to expand our knowledge and things that we are interested in. And um, for self-motivated students, I think being homeschooled is really a special experience. So not everybody can do it. And I don't think that it maybe isn't best for everybody, but I really appreciate that I was given that opportunity. Did you know all along uh, when you had children, when they were first born in the first couple of years, that you were going to homeschool them? Or was there a question? For myself, I always wanted to homeschool the boys. Um, that was important to me. No matter what kids I had before I had kids, I wanted to homeschool. Chris was not of that thought. <laughs> so, and probably because it was more of a foreign idea to him, uh, he went to public school and he's like, hey, I turned out fine. And my kind of thing is... I was like, yeah, but do you want our kids to turn out fine or awesome? <laughs> um, I don't know if that was the convincing argument, <laughs> but our kids are homeschooled, so something happened in between. Um, but I think that uh, it did. It wasn't like I really had to talk them into it. I think that for us in particular, we are very happy to be able to educate our kids about um, not just like the subjects like math and language arts and social studies, but politically and um, socially and to be able to grow critical thinkers that can ask questions that aren't you don't always have the opportunity to ask or get the answer to when you're in uh, the public school system. And it's not this isn't like um saying anything negative about the public school system but we know that teachers are packed in these classrooms with all of these kids and they can only they only have so much to give and time and resources and each student is different and you know like there's the amazing teachers that somehow pull off um, educating kids incredibly and yeah totally appreciate what they do but I'm thankful for my own situation that we're able to do this and be able to have the hands-on time with the kids. So, yeah, I'm thankful I can do it. Yeah, and the hands-on time, what does that mean to you as a mom to be able to spend that much time with your kids? Um, a lot of things. Okay, well, this is kind of a funny story, I'll tell. Um, <clears throat> the boys had a friend over at the house, and I could hear them playing with their Lego upstairs and talking. And um, the one kid was talking about how he gets paid to do chores and I'm like thinking, oh, man, my kids are going to find out kids get paid to do chores. And my one son, he's like, hmm, you get paid to do just like, like your parents pay you money to do regular things that you just have to do anyway. And the kid's like, well, I wouldn't have to. I get paid to do it. And Finn goes, hmm, have your parents taught you about work ethic yet? And I was like, okay, well, I, I guess they've heard me say that enough because a lot of times if, I mean, they get paid to do certain things and like, you know, like they have an allowance because they find it really neat to be able to buy themselves things. But usually when I ask them to do things and we have like a hands-on time, like it's important to me not to say, can you help me do dishes? It's like, let's help each other do the dishes because we all live in the home and we can all contribute to what we're doing. Like we all ate off of those plates and we all walked across the floor in our boots and yeah, just teaching my kids to be able to be aware of how, what they're contributing and being interested in helping, you know, which I think is kind of an uphill battle for kids to like enjoy doing chores. But, oh my gosh, I couldn't uh, stand doing chores when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Me Total either, uphill so, battle. Yeah. But I didn't get paid to do them, so no. <laughs> Not at all? No. Okay. Do, but my parents were generous and kind. And I mean, and I live on their property now, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, I do pay them to live there. So. 
Um, well, we're almost at the uh, the end of the uh, amount of time for these uh, this podcast years. We're going to wind it wind it down here a little bit. But before we do, I'm going to ask: Is there anything that you want to uh, say to end off to the people of Pender Island or whoever else is listening? I don't think so. No. Uh, well, I don't think no. No, no last comments. No last. I, I, I really feel like I have to make this known to the people of Pender Island. Uh, no, you don't have to say anything. I don't it's think I have good. anything they need to know. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm so appreciative they decided to do this. You're, uh, you're fantastic speakers. Oh, thanks for having me over. I hope you clip this well so that I sound really intelligent and helpful. I'm barely going to clip it at all. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, one last thing to say, and that's the title of this podcast, and it's Welcome Home. I'm here. All right. Well, wasn't that great? Steph Williams. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of this episode. I really appreciate that people choose to listen to these I personally think that we have a really great opportunity on this island to embrace the new people that have decided to live here. I think that this island has the potential to be better than it's ever been. And that is going to happen with all of us pulling together and recognizing the talent and skills and beauty that we all have and we can share together. So that's my take on things. Thank you to Steph. Thank you to Ben McConkie for providing the theme music to this episode. And until next time.